if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn or click to Hebrews chapter 12 or Nehemiah chapter 8. And, you know, I hope you understand and know just how seriously, just how, um, um, just how uh, dedicated I am to seeking the Lord on behalf of our church family. I, I don't take for granted the opportunity to stand before you and to open up God's word and to, to visit God's word together. I take it very seriously. There's a, there, in the healthy sense of the term, I feel the weight of the responsibility, especially in the day and the hour that we live in, to seek God's heart for what he wants to remind us of, for what he wants to deepen in us, for what, what he wants to reveal in us through his word, for what he wants to heal in us through the power of his word. And so I hope you know I take it seriously. I, I consider it a joy, a pleasure, and honor to carry that responsibility along with our other pastors and leaders who come and speak and minister to us. But, you know, most times I, I'm endeavoring, I'm spending time, I'm setting aside time to, to get into the Bible and to, and to earnestly call out to God and say, God, what's on your heart? They don't need to hear from a person. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the mouthpiece. What's on your heart for this church, for this family, for this city? God, what do you want to say? say? What do you want to speak? What do you want to remind them of or reveal to them about who you are and about who we are in Christ? And I sit before the Lord and he, he is so faithful. He's so good. He inevitably, he cares even more than I care as a person, as a pastor. He cares even more deeply and specifically and uniquely for every one of you. You're his child. You're his sons. You're his daughters. He sees, he knows every circumstance, every situation, every challenge, every opportunity that you're up against and going through. And he cares deeply and profoundly for your life and for your future. And so he's so good as I just sit before him and I say, God, what do you have on your heart? to speak to your children, he begins to speak to me, and then I just begin to capture it in a way that hopefully I can come, and even as an imperfect person and a preacher who's still growing in my own faith and experiencing my own unique challenges, that I would come and just say, here's what I believe God is speaking to us today. So many times I go before the Lord and say, Lord, what's on your heart? Today's message, I believe that the Lord visited me, and I believe he gave me an assignment to come and to speak something to you today. I believe it's a timely reminder for some. For others, it really will be a profound revelation about something that is very deeply and intertwined into the heart of God for every person, every believer, every man, every woman, every marriage, every family. And the title of today's message is this, Unshakable Joy. Unshakable Joy. That how many of you can just feel that the world around us is in many ways shaking? Come on, there's wars, rumors of wars, even talk from the, the lead, highest leaders of the lands about the possibility or potential that lies for even nuclear war, and there's pandemics and viruses and divisions and political divisions and an upcoming election and, 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 and financial uh, crisis and, and uncertainty, inflation, and leading possibly to recession or even depression. No one knows, but the world is shaking today. And here's what I want to encourage you with, that as the world is shaking, here's the truth that we can grab a hold of as men and women of God who are called by his name and invited to live by faith. Here's what we can grab a hold of is none of it is catching God off guard. If you read the Bible, he doesn't shy away from telling us that there would be these things, wars and rumors of wars, pestilences and pandemics and things that would be going on. And in fact, Hebrews chapter 12 is where I asked you, to, to turn, and that's where we see that God's talking about this shaking that's gonna come to the earth today, but then he extends a powerful promise to any person who will choose and determine to live by faith and look to him and gather our trust and our strength from him. So, so let's read what God says. He says in verse 26, Hebrews 12, it says, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. And this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Someone say unshakable things. And here's this promise to you and I in verse 28 of that same chapter, Hebrews chapter 12. Since we, he's speaking to you, he's speaking to me, since we, the people of God, Men and women of God are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Someone say unshakable. Let us be thankful 
And let us please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. So the Bible is the message of an unshakable God who commits to protect, direct, and provide for any person who will put their faith and their trust in the unchangeable, unshakable God who offers those things, protection, direction, provision in the midst of a world that God says right here very clearly is going to be shaken. But his promise to you and I is we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's a reason we have a heart for the kingdom. Did you know that Jesus used the word church only three times in the New Testament? But he used the word kingdom 162 times. Because he wasn't trying to build a denomination or an organization. He was trying to bring his lordship, his governance, his kingdom to earth, on, heaven, or on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that how he taught us to pray and think and believe? And so he, one of the places where he used the word church is when he was talking to Peter. You know, when he said, Peter, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a good man. He said, who do you say I am? And it's the most important question that we will ever answer in our lives. And the answer that we give by faith reverberates throughout all of eternity for you and for I, for me. And so he, he asked that question, and Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And he said, he said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood, people didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed that to you. And he says, you're, you'll now be known as Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church. The rock was not the person, the rock was the revelation of who Jesus was. And he said, I'll build my church, and what did he say, remember? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he's, he's building his church, but he's calling his church to be a church that builds God's kingdom. And Gates, I don't know about you, but I've never seen Gates on the move. He's called us to be the ones that are on the move. Uh, taking the gates of hell, conquering the places where people have been held in darkness and bondage and strongholds or isolation, depression, despair, sin, judgment, con condemnation and shame and the things that the enemy tries to use because of our fallen nature and the condition of the world to keep us from moving forward in faith to live out the abundant life that Jesus made possible for you and I through the cross of Calvary. It's why we have a heart for the kingdom. So he says, we're receiving a kingdom that's unshakable. Come on, once again, say unshakable. It's unshakable. The kingdom that you and I are being invited to become a part of, the family of God, the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's unshakable. There's a world that's gonna be shaking. But he said, if you'll connect to me, there's a way that you can live unshakable. That's the kingdom that God wants us to become a part of. Romans 14, 17 kind of just bottom lines it what the kingdom of God is about. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of preferences. In fact, that's the context of Romans chapter 14. People are debating. They're going back and forth. They're, they're debating about, is it okay that we eat this or drink this? Is, should we worship on this day or that day? There's all this confusion and chaos and people with their own opinions and preferences. And the writer comes and he says, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating or drinking. He's speaking to kind of the dissensions and the arguments about rules and regulations. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is really not a matter of all these rules and regulations anymore. And then he goes on and he says what the kingdom of God is. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Someone say joy. joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's the kingdom that I've invited you to become a part of that will remain unshakable even when the world shakes. Righteousness. Righteousness is not just good Christian behavior. The, the connotation of that word in the original language is positional as, as it regards the position of relationship one to another. Righteousness is the way God sees you. Righteousness is what was accomplished and purchased and delivered to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary as he came and lived a perfect life, gave up his life as the penalty for sin, went to that cross, went to that grave, but then didn't lie in that grave, but for only three days he rose again and, and, and now exists forevermore at the right hand of God. That's the position that God has purchased for you. God doesn't see you through your sin. He sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are the righteousness of God in who? Christ Jesus. Righteousness. And he says, peace. I want you to have peace. And Jesus said, my peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. It's a gift and it's an inheritance. And he said, my peace I don't give you as the world gives. The world has a measure of peace that they find in a person or, or, a, or, in, the, or in a pill or in the bottom of a bottle. 
or in pornography or whatever it is. He said, there's a fleeting peace that you can find in the world. And he says, my peace is different. That's not my kind of peace. My peace is transcendent. My peace transcends your thoughts and your circumstances. And then he says, my kingdom is a kingdom of joy in the Holy Spirit. He wants you to understand who you are in Christ. He wants you to live in peace even when the world is in chaos around you. And he wants you to draw your strength from the joy that we have in Christ Jesus. And that's what takes us to Nehemiah chapter eight, where there's a scripture that probably many of us are familiar with, the joy of the Lord is our strength. But maybe fewer of us are aware of the context of how that scripture is delivered to us, and that's what we're about to read together, Nehemiah chapter eight. So I think this is pretty cool, what we're about to read. And I think you'll see it jump off the page to you the same way that it did to me. As we read Nehemiah chapter eight, I think what you'll see is that there's a pattern here that sounds a lot like church on Sundays. There's a pattern here. Maybe you could kind of see and appreciate, man, we don't just do that because the denomination says we have to or because Pastor T has a preference about it. There's a lot of what we do when we gather together as the faithful people, the saints of God, the men and women of God who are called by his name. There's a lot that we do that comes directly from this passage right here in Nehemiah chapter eight. So, so watch and watch how it kind of bubbles out or jumps off the page to you as we read or I read over us Nehemiah chapter eight starting in verse one. And it says this, it says, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. So at a specific place, a specific location for a specific purpose, the congregation, the people, the family of God gathered together with a unified purpose. And they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So, so they didn't gather to just talk about their opinions. They, when they got together in a specific place at a specific time, they wanted to read the word of God. And it says, so on October 8th, and I appreciate how the New Living Translation kind of takes the biblical timeline that's provided in the original language and kind of modernizes it to a specific day that this happened. On October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and the children old enough to understand. I don't know what they did with the children who weren't old enough to understand. Probably they sent them to kids' ministry. And it says, he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning, catch this, from early morning until noon. They had a service at nine and 11. <laughs> they had to be out at noon though because the Chiefs played at noon, I guess, that day. They had, they had to give consideration to this. Come on, you guys know it's true. If the Chiefs were playing at noon today, you would have come to the nine o'clock service probably, right? But can you see this? They gathered together in a specific place around teaching of the word of God. They gathered in the morning and were out about noon. I mean, look, isn't it sound a little bit like Sunday church to you, to anyone else besides me? And, and watch what it says. It says, and he read aloud to everyone who could understand. And the people listened closely to the book of the law. Come on, would you listen to what God has to say to you? When you come to church, would you come not just to kind of check off a religious box, but would you have an expectation in your heart that God wants to speak something to you? There's something he's doing in your life. There's some plans and some purposes and a future that he has for you. And his desire is to speak to you, to help you, to heal you, to encourage you, to comfort you, and to challenge you so that you'll keep moving forward in your life of faith. You won't get stuck. You won't be hindered. You won't hold back from everything that God has for you. Would you listen to him today? Would you listen to him today? And it says, Ezra, the scribe, check this out. He stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. And Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Come on, we stand in the house of God. And Ezra praised the Lord, verse six, the great God. All the people shouted, chanted, amen. Amen, as they lifted their hands. Come on, where are my ameners at this morning? That's for you right there. Come on, in certain churches, they do even more of that. Come on, we're growing into that. Come on, if you believe that God is good and faithful and true, come on, let me hear a good amen. Come on. They said amen, amen, and they lifted their hands, and they bowed, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God, and they clearly explain the meaning of what was being read. Come on, if sometimes you read the Bible and you don't fully understand what it's saying, it's exactly what it's saying right here. They took time, like hopefully we do every Sunday, to dig into God's word and say, here's what the Bible has to say and here's what God means. 
Here's what he's speaking to us. Here's what he's revealing to us. They clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping people understand each passage. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and scribe, the Levites who were interpreting for the people, said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. Today is a sacred day before the Lord your God, for the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And this is not out of bounds to, to have an emotional response to what God's doing. I had it this morning as I was stepping up into the pulpit in the 9 a.m. service, and I'm, I'm grateful for those times where in the presence of God, I've just gotten emotional as God's reminding me of all the things he's rescued me from and all the things he's restored me to and all the things and the ways he's protected me from or delivered me from, some of which I never even knew what God had intervened and delivered me from or protected me from. And it's good sometimes to have a reminder. It's good sometimes to come under the conviction of God that causes you to kind of realize, man, I'm a sinful person, but I'm serving a good God who loves me in spite of myself and sent Jesus to bring me home into a relationship so it's not out of bounds to experience the emotion that sometimes can even result in weeping before the Lord or just kind of being sensitive before the Lord. But, but he goes on and he, and he says, Nehemiah is basically now dismissing the church service around noon. <laughs> and, he, and it says, go and celebrate, Nehemiah continued, with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. And share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. If you have teenagers, that's you right here. You have your call to go and buy some food and share it with people who otherwise have nothing prepared for themselves. Come on, college students, young adults, teenagers, whoever it is. He says, after church, I'm dismissing you from church. We've opened the Bible. We praise God together. Now it's noon. The chiefs are about to play. I'm encouraging you. Don't stay in this place. God might have got your attention about some things. God might have deepened some things in your heart. Now you need to go and get yourself some fried chicken and a two liter of soda. Go home and turn on the chiefs game. And you need to share your food with your family and enjoy what God has done in your life. Come on, someone ought to say amen. That sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> Share it with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. Here's where we're going. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, let me just have you say it today. Say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, say it again. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the Levites too quieted the people saying, hush, don't weep. This is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink a festive meal to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy because they had heard God's words and understood them. The joy of the Lord is, come on. Did anyone else kind of see the pattern for church right there? It, throughout that, that, that chapter, isn't that kind of cool to see that what we're doing here, getting together, gathered together, a specific place, a specific time, starting in the morning, releasing about noon, one person standing before, opening up the word of God, expounding upon and explaining the heart and the meaning of the scriptures, and then God doing something in our hearts. That's what the emotion was, an outward sign of an inward thing that God was doing. He was drawing them back. If you go read the context, he was drawing them back to serving God in the house of God and living for God. Come on today, maybe that's what he's doing in your life. He's drawing you back to a place of prioritizing God, to a place of building your life, your family, your marriage on the solid rock and not the shifting sand. And so then he, he, he stands and he says, now you guys go in the wake of what God's done in your life today and go and celebrate as a family for God is good. Go and get yourself some food and some drink. Go and invite someone that might not have to come and join you. And you don't, you don't despair. You, you appreciate that God is good. And you go celebrate. And he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength. There's a lot of things he could have said that it is. It's your strength. And did you know that God has a heart for you to stand strong? Did you know that one of the most common commands in the scripture is be strong and courageous? And if you look up the word strong, because we know, and I'll show you here in a moment, the Bible has a lot to say about this. The word strong, if you look it up, here's just a few of the meanings for the word strong. Capacity for physical or mental accomplishment or endurance. As I'm reading this, I want you to ask yourself, does this sound like something I want to have does this sound like something I want to be or become? Capacity for physical or mental accomplishment or endurance. Power and ability to resist opposition or attacks. The equipping to accomplish, succeed, or achieve victory. Come on, how many, if that's what strong means, how many want to be strong? God wants you to be strong too. 
1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Look at your neighbor, tell him, be strong. Be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord. It's his heart and it's his hope for you. Ephesians 6, 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and what? His mighty power. Philippians 4, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, the ones whom I long, love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord this way. My dear friends, God desires for you in a world that is shaking, in a world that is tumultuous, in a world where there are many uncertainties about the future, in a world where many people don't know where to turn or who to look to, God's desire is for us as the people of God to be so anchored and tethered to our faith and to our relationship with God that we can stand firm, we can be part of an unshakable kingdom, even in a world that's shaking. Come on, if you're grateful, somebody, come on, do like in Nehemiah 8. Someone say amen. amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He wants you to be strong. How can we be strong? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And today, I believe that on an assignment from God, I'm here today to deliver the word of God from the heart of God, the heart of a God who wants to restore the joy that you might have lost or was stolen from you because of the circumstances of your life. And he wants to bring you back to a place where you experience a joy that's enduring, a joy that's transcendent, a joy that's different from the happiness that the world is in pursuit of. Because the joy of God is not happiness tied to circumstances. The, the world is on a mission, a pursuit, a feeling of happiness that's associated with everything going right for me, everyone applauding for me, everyone accepting me, everyone embracing me, my 401k, my bank account, my stature, my position, my status, my promotion, and I'm telling you that that's happiness that's fleeting and circumstantial because one day your 401k might look like this, and come on, today it actually might look like this. One day you might have the applause of men, and the next day the very same people might say, give us Barabbas. God says, I, I want you to be after joy that transcends happiness. It's the joy. The joy of the Lord is what's gonna be your strength, and I want you to be able to stand strong as part of an unshakable kingdom, even in a world that's shaking. God wants to restore what's been lost or stolen. God wants to deliver you to what's in his heart for you. And did you know that contrary to popular religious belief that has God sitting up on a cloud ready to zap you with a lightning bolt, did you know that contrary to popular religious belief, God is not in a bad mood towards you? And I'll show you, Jesus told us himself. And he took a whole chapter and he used three parables, three stories. One wasn't enough to underline the significance of what he wanted you and I to understand and to glean and to comprehend and to embrace that God is joyful. Heaven is a place of joy. God wants to deliver joy to us so that we can stand strong. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told him a story, verse three. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost? until he finds it. Come on, who's grateful for a God who was willing to leave the 99 to come after you? I'm raising my hand. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He doesn't despise the sheep. He doesn't resent the sheep. It says he joyfully carries it home. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found my lost sheep. Catch this, Jesus, red letter words, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. I know I said it earlier, but it bears repeating, contrary to popular religious belief, God is not grumpy. And he's not in a bad mood. And he doesn't resent you and he doesn't despise you. He's not up in heaven saying, oh my God, I got, could he say that? <laughs> what am I gonna do? There they go again. He's always willing to come after you, run after you, chase after you, come after you, and when he finds you, when he catches you, when he catches up to you, when you turn back to him, when he embraces you, it says he joyfully, Jesus, didn't Jesus say? He joyfully carried the sheep home, and didn't he say in the same way? That's how God sees you. And, and, and Maybe he could have made the point right there, but if you read on, same chapter, Luke 15, verse eight, there's another parable. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Have you ever lost, for some, lost something that was really important to you? Have you ever lost something? I mean, really, even if it was something that maybe didn't seem important, I recently lost one of my earbuds and I had one earbud and I had one that was missing and I looked and I searched and I thought, man, I probably vacuumed it up at the car wash over here and finally I found it. And I'm telling you, you would have thought that it was Christmas morning, man. You would have thought that I had found a million dollars. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for finding the one lost earbud. So, so how many of you have ever lost something that was important to you and you really wanted to desperately find it? Today, if you've lost your joy, God wants to return it to you and restore it to you. How many of you also um, have the friend or family member who comes alongside and in an attempt to be helpful to you to find the thing that you've lost, they ask you this question, where's the last place you had it? <laughs> I mean, really, who's ever heard that question? Who's ever asked that question? All right, Captain Obvious if I knew the last place that I had it, I would go there and I would get it. Now, I understand that people are just trying to be helpful. You know, it kind of jogs your memory a little bit about where you've been and kind of where you might have left it. But come on, if I knew the last place that I had it, I'm pretty sure I would have it with me right now. I would go there and I would get it. So this woman has lost one of her 10 silver coins. And verse eight, Jesus continues to elaborate on what she would do. Won't she light a lamp? and sweep the entire house? Come on, can you just see your stress sweeping right now? How many, how many of you ever stre stress sweepers do I have here? I'm not looking over at my wife right now. That's wisdom kicking in right now. She's under stress, man. She needs that coin. And so she's sweeping the house, man, and she's looking for that coin. And I'm sure that as she's doing it, she's thinking of other people that she could maybe possibly blame for losing the coin or whatever, you know, and, Again, I'm not looking over to my wife. Wisdom is kicking in right now. I want to live. <laughs> and it says, when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, what? Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. Watch this, red letters, Jesus alert right here. Jesus is on the scene. In the same way, there is what? Joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. You read on the same chapter, Luke 15 is one of the versions where, God, where Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son that I use every week when we're closing and giving people the opportunity because so many people find themselves in this circumstance, people who lo have loved God, known God, but they've gotten busy with life or they've made some bad decisions and they've gone on their own way. And that's where Jesus tells this parable about that son or that daughter who has made a decision to go and try to live it out in their own strength according to the ways of the world. And the father knew what would happen. They would eventually run out of funds and run out of friends and be at the end of themselves and the end of their rope. And they would eventually say, what am I doing here? I got a father, I got a house, I got a home. I should go back and at least just see if he'll let me be a slave or a servant in the house. And the father, if you see, if you read it for yourself, the father was waiting with arms wide open to welcome that son, welcome that daughter back into a relationship that transcends religion. He didn't resent them, despise them, hold them to account for the mistakes or the misdeeds or the misgivings. He said, come home. I'll put a ring on your finger, a robe on your back. I'll call a celebration for you. Verse 23, Luke 15, kill the fatted calf we've been fattening. Come on, he's calling. He said, let's smoke a brisket. That's of the Lord. <laughs> we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The New Living Translation says it this way. So let the party begin. And Jesus says, in the same way. That's the culture of heaven. If you think that God is grumpy, grouchy, despising you, resenting you because you're always needing him to bail you out, help you out, protect you, provide for you, he's a joyful father. And he says, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. That's how we're supposed to pray. And he says, there's a spiritual strength that I decide, that I desire for you to walk in and live in and you can only walk in it if you live and abide in the joy of the Lord. In the unshakable kingdom that is righteousness, peace, and joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say it for added emphasis to imply the importance of it. Rejoice. Come on, someone say rejoice. 
rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Here's what joy is not. It's not happiness tied to circumstances. Here's what joy is. And this is kind of Pastor T's definition of it, but hopefully it will resonate with you. I think it has some of the heart of God behind it. Here's what joy is in biblical terms. It's a determination and a decision to live gratefully aware of God's forgiveness, his faithfulness, his goodness, and his promises for your life. A determination to live gratefully aware of God's forgiveness, his faithfulness, his goodness, and promises for your life on good days and on bad days. James 1 says you can consider it pure joy when you experience trials. Really, God? Yeah, because he's saying my kind of joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. And it's the reason that the world is shifting sand. And it's the reason that people are up one day and down the next. It's the reason that people are dealing with discouragement that leads to depression, that leads to despair, that causes us to live with this void of any hope for the future. And he says, I want you to stand strong because you're filled with the joy of the Lord. In good times and bad, we can't determine everything that we go through in life, everything that happens to us. Just settle it. There's gonna be some unforeseen, unexpected things in your life. And you might say, we're in church, Pastor T. Keep it positive. I'm positive you're gonna go through some discouraging days in life. We don't get a chance to determine everything we're gonna go through. But can I encourage you with something? You get a chance to determine what you will define it as. You get a chance to determine what you will call it. Just a few examples. Failure, the world says it's failure. I preached on this a few weeks ago. Go back and check it out if you missed it. It's a learning opportunity. You don't, I love this, I love, I love, I love this quote. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, not lose. Embarrassment is a chance for me to grow in my humility. Come on, how many of you ever had some of those moments? We don't get a chance to determine everything that we go through. We get a chance to decide and determine what we're gonna call it by faith. Weakness, my weaknesses. The Bible says real clearly, a vehicle for God's grace and strength to be on display. My mistakes are a canvas for the masterpiece of God's grace. Delay, I thought it woulda, coulda, shoulda already happened. I'd already have the ring on my finger. I'd already have the business, the ministry. The... What I've learned over the years is that delay is oftentimes God's season of added preparation because of the greater sense of purpose that he has in his heart than what you even have in your own heart. Disappointment. I tell you what I've learned over the years when I choose to look at it through eyes of faith Disappointment, God's protection and better plan connection. If we'll look at it through eyes of faith. I mean, come on, how many of you are still friends on Facebook with someone that you were so disappointed you weren't married to and now you are so thankful to the Lord Jesus that you're not married to that person for whatever reason? One season it was disappointment. Now you look back and with the hindsight of God's grace on your life, you understand it was God's protection and his better planned connection. Trials, troubles, tests. You can't get the triumph without the trial. You can't even spell testimony without the test. God wants you to walk in the strength of God and to do it, you've gotta walk in the joy of God quickly. Some keys, some practical things about how we can do this, how we can do this. Hopefully, Hopefully we've established and maybe you've embraced the importance of this, what's at stake in your life and, and, and maybe understood a little bit more why the enemy is constantly harassing you and bringing about circumstances and situations or naysaying people in your life because he's trying to steal your joy because he understands that if joy is spiritual strength, when you're not operating in joy, you're operating in a weakened condition and you're vulnerable or susceptible to the schemes and attacks of the enemy. So here, I gotta move quickly. Number one, value it. You need to value it, value joy. It's not an emotion, it's not a feeling. We gotta understand, this is something that's part of God's kingdom. And so we gotta value it more than we ever had before. Did you know Jesus needed joy to fulfill his ministry? And if Jesus needed it, you better believe we're gonna need it, right? What's it say, what's it say? Hebrews 12 verse two, for the joy set before him, Jesus, what, endured the cross. 
We gotta value it, we gotta see it differently. Number two, we gotta persevere to the place of joy. We see that in, in that scripture right there. Jesus endured, Jesus persevered. Jesus went through the pain of the Garden of Gethsemane and the rejection of Judas and the rejection of the people because he knew there's a day coming where I'm gonna stand in the victory of my Father. You're gonna have to persevere. Psalm 30 verse five says, weeping may last for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. Three, we gotta protect it. We gotta protect it. Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. That's a responsibility that you and I are given by God. To guard our heart, guard the flame. God's the giver of the flame, we're the keeper of the flame in many ways. We gotta guard our heart. We gotta protect the joy. You protect what's valuable to you. You lock your door at night because you love your family. You have cameras and security systems. You, you protect what you value. And because joy is spiritual strength, the enemy will send an assignment to try to create circumstances and situations to literally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, steal your joy. We gotta, we gotta protect it. We gotta guard it. We gotta be willing to, to say, you know, I'm gonna start looking for those moments. I, I was reminded, I'm trying to tell the quick version of it. In 2012, New Year's Eve night of 2012, December 31st, we loaded up a U-Haul. We moved to Brownsville, Texas to accept an assignment. As a praise and worship pastor, which was what I did for 13 years before I stepped into preaching the word. And, and we were going to a beautiful church, beautiful community, and on our way into town, Brownsville, Texas, deep, as far south in Texas as you can go, right on the border with a beautiful Mexican city called Matamoros, and right there next to South Padre Island, beautiful weather, beautiful people. And, and we, we were pulling into town, and we stopped off at an office, and we picked up a key to our rental house, because our house back in Abilene, Texas, West Central Texas, hadn't yet sold and we were stepping out in faith, and we also wanted to kind of get a feel for the lay of the city before we maybe made a determination about buying our own home. So we stopped and we picked up a key, and then we went and we unpacked our, our boxes into our house. We, we, we were kind of moved in, but not settled in. How many know that takes 28 years to get settled in into a house, you know? But we were unpacked. At least everything was out of the truck and in the garage. Can you see it in your mind's eye? And I just had this thought, probably some of it was the, a setup from the enemy to bring fear into my heart. But I just had this thought, I thought, I wonder who else has a copy of this key? Do you, th I mean, do they really come and change the lock? I, I mean, I don't know, hopefully they did, but I don't know that they had. And I thought, I wonder who else has a copy of this key and can see a giant 25 foot U-Haul truck parked out in the front knowing that every belonging we have is right behind this garage door. And I just thought, you know, I'm gonna be a little extra. I wasn't fearful, but I was like, I'm gonna be a little extra on alert tonight. And wouldn't you know, at 2.30 in the morning, that very night, the first night, not the second night, the first night we were living in our new rent house, the alarm system, the whole house alarm system started going off at a billion decibels, alarming us that there's an intruder alert, intruder alert, and a thing going off, and I'm like, oh my goodness, my very first night in Brownsville, Texas, and I'm gonna have to go karate kid on someone right now. And how many you know, I mean, have you, anyone ever had something like that happen, a, a glass break or a door fling open or something happen and your feet hit the floor in a different way and some of it is boldness and courage and some of it is kind of thinking about what's about, who, who's on the other side of that door? And I grabbed something, I think I had grabbed my church softball bat out of my bag or something, I had it sitting there. And, and I went out there and thankfully, here's what it was, it was, it was a false alarm. When we were shimmying the washer and dryer into position in the utility room, we had knocked the, the plug of the security system out of the socket. And so it had a backup battery, but it was only good for a few hours. And some genius who invents security systems had decided if the backup battery goes out, we ought to launch a full-scale invader alert alarm through the whole house to, in, to inform them that the, the battery is dead, you know, or they need to plug it back in. So I plugged the thing back in and disarmed it and it went off and we went back to bed and the rest is history. We loved our time in Brownsville, Texas. But here's the moral of the story. You protect a little differently what you care about the most. And maybe some of us could stand to have an alarm on our heart, remember? Above all else, guard your what, your heart? Maybe some of us could stand to have in previous seasons or today God's given you the grace and the invitation to have an alarm on the condition of your heart. 
where previously something happened, unforeseen, unexpected, something they did, something they said, and it entered you into this season of depression to despair, you, the, the joy of the Lord just vacating your heart, leaving you in a void where you're just searching and hoping and longing that you'll even just make it to the next day. And maybe today we ought to start saying, we recognize that God wants us strong. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When those lies start to come from the enemy, when they say the thing they shouldn't have said, when they don't follow through with what they, what they said they'd follow through on, I'm not going to allow the enemy to come and in a full-scale way steal the joy of the Lord that is my strength. Last, a couple more things. I gotta move quick. We, have, we gotta have an attitude of gratitude. If there's one thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. If there's one thing you remember, you remember this, that nothing insulates, protects, guards the joy of your heart like determining with ferocity, I mean with determination, with intentionality, I am going to remain thankful for everything that God's already done in my life. I'm not gonna allow the enemy to cause me to focus on the few things that haven't yet materialized or haven't yet followed through on or haven't yet come about in my life that I'm trusting God for. I'm gonna remember all the things and all the ways he's previously helped me, delivered me, been faithful to me, seen me through and seen me to some things. Come on, I know we got some struggles. I know we've got some adversity, but I promise you if you'll take a moment and you'll shut the door on the enemy and you'll be mindful and you'll be reflective, there's more that every one of us has to be grateful for. Who He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Come on, my fight to maintain an attitude of gratitude that says I'm gonna remain joyful. In the middle of the adversity, I'm gonna remain joyful because I'm mindful of all that he's done. A couple more quick things. Avoid the pitfall of comparison. Avoid the pitfall of comparison. It's always been a valid principle. It's, it's more important today than ever because today we have the social media phenomenon where in one moment's notice, you can swipe or face, or face recognition and you can, in one app, you can be aware of everyone's highly filtered, carefully selected highlights of their life. And we look at it and then the enemy comes and starts lying to us saying, man, don't you wish that you had or don't you, shouldn't God have already taken you to that? Or man, what if you had that kind of resource? Or what if you could go on those kind of trips? Or when are you gonna get invited to the thing? Or when are you gonna get asked to serve in that way? And the enemy uses comparison to steal our joy. It's really true. It's not just cliche. Comparison is the thief of joy. Stop comparing yourself. Galatians 6, 4 through 6 says this. Make a careful exploration of who you are. The work you've been given, sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others. Take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your life. Lastly, we'll close right here. Secure the source. Secure the source. Jesus is the source of your joy. He said, I'm the vine. I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, there's great things you could do, but in comparison to what you can do in your own strength, what you could do in your own strength is nothing. He says, would you abide in me? Psalm 16, verse 11 says it this way. It says, in my presence, is full, in your presence, rather, is fullness of joy. Man, God's calling you back into his presence, man of God. Maybe you realize today, man, pastor, what Pastor T is saying is resonating with me. I have not been operating in the strength that is the joy of God. And maybe it's because you've been trying to do it in your own strength. Would you be honest with yourself? Would you be real with yourself? And just say, is it possible that maybe in this season, the invitation of God is for me to get back to that place where I'm found in his presence, where every day, where every morning, where all throughout my day, I'm determined and dedicated to open up the word of God, which is the Bible, and to start my day and to build my day and remind myself and to center my heart on what he has to say. Because what he has to say is unshakable the opinions of the world, what they think, what they say, what they do towards you. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Secure the source, secure the source. In medieval times when they would build a castle that was the centerpiece of a city, 
One of the number one things they would look for is a place where they could build that castle where there was a source of water that would not have to be, that would not flow in from an outer, outside the walls because inevitably if the water that flowed into the city of the center of the castle and the center of the community that they were building there could be accessed by enemies outside the walls, the enemies would not even have to fight against the people to bring down the castle. They would just go and they would poison the water source that was flowing into the community. Oftentimes they would throw dead bodies or dying things in there and the enemy is still in the business of throwing dead and dying things into the source of your life. You gotta secure the source. Come on, but Jesus, he's a source of living water and he said, if you'll drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Secure the source. Stop listening to those dead things, old things, dying things that the enemy has put into the river that's flowing into your life. Cut it off, cut it off. Establish and secure the source. His name is Jesus and his presence is fullness of joy. Would you stand to your feet this morning? And as you stand, the last thing I wanna encourage you with is this, that if you've lost your joy, it can be restored. If you've lost your sense of joy, it can be restored. The psalmist said it, and if, he, if it wasn't possible, God wouldn't have ordained for it to be written in the Bible. The psalmist said this, Psalm 51, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, of your salvation. And today, I'm encouraging you, in spite of the circumstances and situations you might be up against, there's a joy that God wants to restore to you, and it's not tied to the things of this world. The psalmist could have said a lot of things, restore to me the joy of this success or that season of my life. But he said, no, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because any time and any place and anything that you're going through, that's the thing that's unshakable. The Bible says that neither death nor life, darkness, hell, demons, principalities, no sickness, no disease can ever separate you from the love of God that you have in Christ Jesus. On your worst day, God is still faithful to you. Your salvation is still eternally secure. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I might be going through some things, but when I remember the joy of my salvation, here's what I'm reminded of. God loves me. God has chosen me. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna flip the script. God loves you. God has chosen you. God came for you, he sent his son for you, he gave his life for you, he went to the grave for you, he's healing you, he's changed you or is changing you, he's restored or is restoring you, and he's promised you that he will never leave you or forsake you. So God, would you restore unto us the joy of your salvation? And Man, come on, if we just realize or recognize, if we were real with ourselves, let me just ask you a question and then we'll shift it to a ministry. How many of you might recognize or realize that you've misplaced the source of your joy? It's in a person, it's in a bank account, it's in a promotion, whatever it is. And I just think we ought to just be real with God. Come on, just, just tell him you're sorry. Just say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've misplaced, misappropriated who or what I look to to receive the joy of my life. I'm, I'm tired of chasing after happiness that's tied to circumstances. It's fleeting, it's circumstantial, it's shifting, it's changing, but there's an unshakable joy that's part of a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy that we can apprehend. And come on, would you, man of God, woman of God, would you grab a hold of it today? Would you grab a hold of it today? It's not an emotion. It's not, it's not always necessarily this or this uh, being uh, 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 extroverted in your, in your jubilee or your, or your expression of faith. Sometimes it's just a still, quiet confidence of knowing that God is with you and for you even on a bad day. And you just say, man, God, this is tough, but I thank you that you're with me and for me. And there's a joy that's unshakable and unstealable because it comes from you. And they can say what they want, they can do what they want, but they're not taking what I've got in my heart, the joy of my salvation. And so Lord, I just declare that over this church. I pray that individually, every man, every woman, every marriage, every family, every home, every young adult, Lord, would you just help us to grab a hold of this, that you've invited us to be part of a kingdom, righteousness, joy, and peace. And Lord, I pray that we would now go and we would live this out. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to begin to recognize the places and the ways that the enemy has previously come and stolen our joy and thus taken our spiritual strength. 
And I pray, God, from a place of renewed revelation and understanding and conviction to grab a hold of and to fiercely defend and protect your joy, I pray, God, that right now, Lord, that we would begin to, to navigate some things differently than we, maybe we have before in different seasons, God. That we would walk through some things that used to would have maybe caused us to, to get thrown off track or held back or hindered from living our life of faith. And I pray that today, God, because we realize the joy of the Lord is strength and it's the joy of our salvation, God, it's unshakable joy that we have access to. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, if you'll receive any or all of what God shared today, would you put your hands together for Jesus and for his word? And now, some of you are looking at your clock and like, hey, Nehemiah just missed at noon, buddy. We're going a little long today. But would you give us just a few more moments to do one of the most important things we do every day and that's give people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus or give people the opportunity to come home to their father. And maybe you're, we read that Luke 15 or I paraphrased it for us, that prodigal son or daughter. Maybe that's who you are today. You've gotten busy with life or you've made some bad decisions or determinations and you just look up today and you're far from God. And maybe that's you and if that's you, I'm telling you, the, the posture we read about right there is the same posture of the Father to you. He's just saying, would you come home? My arms are wide open. I've been hoping for, longing for, eagerly awaiting this day where you'd get tired of doing it your own way, the way of the world, and you'd say, man, what am I doing? I gotta go back to my Father. And if that's you, that's, that's his posture towards you today. He's welcoming you. He's welcoming you. He doesn't resent or despise. He's longing for a relationship to be restored to you. Or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, received the free gift of salvation. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it. We don't get good to get close to God. We get God and he starts to make things good in our life once again. So if that's you, you've drifted from God or you've never said yes to Jesus, right now, right now, this is your moment. We're not gonna put you on the spot, make you come forward, but we are gonna ask you to do something just very simple. Right now, would you lift your hand towards heaven? Would you lift your hand as a simple outward sign of an inward work that God's doing in your heart, in your life? And just say, that's me, I need to come home. That's me, I need to be forgiven. Would you just lift your hand, just say, that's me. If you're online joining us, I think it's powerfully important you would even make a moment to just pull over to the side of the road or stand up from your office desk or your couch and just lift your hand. And if, if you raise your hand, you can lower it today. And here's what we're gonna do with many precious people, many amazing people, brothers and sisters who are coming home to, to Christ today. We're gonna pray this prayer with you. And we do it for two reasons. We want you to feel right from the start there are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna come alongside you to support you and stand with you and help you and encourage you. If you stumble and it's inevitable, you will, we all do. We'll help you get up and keep moving forward towards the call of God on your life. And we do it for a second reason. It's because every week it reminds us that even as God is growing us in our faith, we never graduate from grace. We pray it every week because it just keeps us tethered to that reality that we never graduate from grace. So come on, there were some amazing people said yes to God today. Let's pray this prayer with them. Come on, pray with boldness and joy in your heart. Repeat after me, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I can never pay to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. And I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, come on, say this loudly and join with all of heaven. Say, I will never be the same. And then come on, let's rejoice with God. Come on. Man, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hey, let's worship God one more time together. Quickly, we'll come dismission.